Hey, welcome to another Oregon Music News Coffee Shop Conversation. I'm Tom D'Antoni, Editor-in-Chief of OMN, Skip Fonkuski of the Portland Cello Project, Vagabond Opera, Groovy Wallpaper, and a lot of other bands is in the cupping room at World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason in Portland today. Coming up in the weeks to come will be conversations with Laura Ivensee, Reggie Houston, Brian Davis, Pilar French, Courtney Vondrelli. It's quite a pile of personalities, of course, just one at a time. Skip has gone through a lot in his career as a cellist, and, well, he plays a lot of other instruments, too. I did a piece on him a few years ago when he was so bad off from a bad back that he had to use canes and have other people carry stuff around for him. He recovered, thankfully. It takes a lot of courage to be a creative person, and you can take my word for it. Let's talk to Skip. Nice to see you. This is the cupping room. The cupping room. I don't know what that. You know, I keep saying I don't know what that means, and, and I and I keep threatening to have to have Mike, the manager here, come in and say what it is. But I think it might be it might be better to leave it as a mystery. Yeah. What I, do they do in a cupping room? I usually I imagine there's a massage table and a, <laughs> and a therapist that's heating up these little teacups and no, putting them uh, on your back. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> it probably has to do with coffee or teacups. Yes, yes, I would imagine. Could be. Yeah. <laughs> there's a few in here. Yeah, really. So you are still as busy as anybody else in the world, aren't you? <laughs> Well, I don't know. I there there are other people that are busier than me. Um, oh, name three. Uh, there, there is nobody busier. Farnell than Newton, uh, <laughs> Douglas Jenkins, um, <laughs> yourself. So, <laughs> how, all right. So, how many how many full time bands are you in right now? Portland Cello Project, we know. Yeah, Portland Cello Project is yeah. uh, probably the thing that takes me out of the city more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, that would be followed closely behind by Vagabond Opera, yeah. which is actually doing slowing down a little bit. Those are two of the most beloved bands that, that in in this town. Really? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, I guess I guess it seems that way when I, it still always just surprises me, like when I show up for a gig locally and and hundreds of people show up. And so still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, you're still surprised. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think yeah. that's you know, huh. in 20 plus years of doing this, or I mean, 38 years playing the cello. But uh, I toured in the early 90s with a band, and we'd go and play reggae sunsplash, and and that would be like, <laughs> we made it. We yeah. played in front of 30,000 people. This is yeah. or 10,000. It yeah. was 30 to us. Um, <laughs> and and then you know we'd go out to Lacrosse, Wisconsin the next week and play for four people and somebody coming up to the stage and saying, I'm sure you're really good and everything, but could you play something that doesn't suck? <laughs> so, so I've kind of like learned that there are ups and downs and there are great shows and there are 
you know, uh, even like, uh, you know, Cello Project usually always does really well wherever we go, but sometimes we'll get into a college or something and, and they uh, just haven't promoted the thing. And so there's a free yeah. show for students and 60 people show up. Um, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's way fewer and farther between for that group. And, um, you know, with Vagabond, uh, you know, we don't, we don't tour as much as we used to. Why is it? Well, I think probably uh, young children for uh, um, at home. Uh, yeah. it, it doesn't make for like a consistently wanting to be away and missing milestones yeah. in their lives. Yeah. Um, you know, um, my kids grown and in college, so I <laughs> I don't really have the the same uh-huh. uh, uh, issues, but. I think, you know, for one thing, uh, Vagabond's been together for 12 years now. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, there's there's a period of time you have, like, it's like a marriage. You, you're not always going to be in love with the work. Yeah. But, you know, you keep doing the work because you do love each other. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and actually, I still consistently have a great time performing with them. Uh-huh. Um, I just know that at this time we're... You know, Eric's got some new projects going. Uh-huh. I've got a hundred other bands, like uh, yeah. you were saying. Um, yeah. You know, the start of this question was uh, besides Vagabond and, and Cello Project, I uh-huh. do my uh, Cellotronic thing, which is mm-hmm. um, my solo work. Um, I have a monthly series doing that down in Salem, and once a month I reserve one day at Edgefield uh-huh. um, to do <clears throat> just my solo work because. Um, I find that it now is that's different from the Diva series. It's it's the Diva series hasn't really existed for the last five years. Oh. Um, <laughs> it started as the Diva series, yeah. but uh, uh, it became a guest list after that. Uh-huh. And then um, then uh, there was a period of time around 2010 where they gave me a little extra money in the summer to put trios on instead of duos and. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had just started Groovy Wallpaper with Don Henson from Sneaking Out at uh-huh. that time. So he was my natural choice to fill out the trios that summer. Uh-huh. And he ended up getting snapped up by like 10 of the bands that, uh, <laughs> you know, that <laughs> played with me that summer. Um, but, uh, but um, yeah, at the end of the summer, I just enjoyed it so much that I asked Don to just become a regular part of the series with me. Yeah. And so um, at this point, it's kind of shifted into uh, in a four-week month, I'll take the first mm-hmm. Monday as a solo date to mm-hmm. help me pay for that extra person yeah. that's there every yeah. week. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and one day out of the month, we'll do Groovy Wallpaper, which is just the two of us. Uh-huh. And then the other two dates, the split between them, we'll this have is different your, guest artists. This, this is your 10th year? 10th year. It's wow. hard to believe. <laughs> It's, it's impossible to believe that somebody, you know, that, that, that you know, a, a gig could last that long, <laughs> that anything could last that long. Well, you know, I mean, Mick Miniman's has lasted a lot longer than that. And well, yeah. I mean, my uh, my good friend uh, uh, Julia, who works the wine bar at the winery, has mm-hmm. uh, has been there with me for ten years, so wow. which is uh, hard to believe too. But she's you know been working for them a lot longer. Um, the thing is, I, I performed at, at McMinniman's since like probably 1999 or 2000, wow. uh-huh. and uh, in fact, I 
I played a wedding there the week of September 11th, 2001, wow. like four days later. And, uh, and it was kind of tense, you know, but I, one of the things I remember the best part was that the, uh, the, uh, officiant was a friend of the bride and groom and he mm-hmm. started the ceremony with Mowage. Mowage is what brings us together. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you so. know what? I did a story one time on an ivory carver who lived in Astoria and he had kind of a German accent. And so every time he said it, it came out ivory, like Elmer Fudd. <laughs> and we couldn't laugh, me and the crew. We, we could not laugh until, of course, we got out to the car, in which we just were just rolled and, up, and laughed uproariously because every time he said the word ivory, it came out ivory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I was much younger and uh, living in New Jersey, our governor, Tom Kane, sounded just like Elmer Fudd. <laughs> 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 I just I, yeah. I, I can't get out of my head when he would say New Jersey and you perfect together. <laughs> <laughs> what I'd like to know is who was Mel Blanc imitating when he invented Elmer Fudd. That's what I'd like to know. I bet there. I've never thought of that question before in my life, but I, I bet now that a, I think about it, a, a wiki worthy search. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. So that you know that must be uh, uh, gratifying to to hold on to a gig that long. It really it's so, is because it's so unusual. It's 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 majorly unusual. I've seen uh, artists from those early years that I still play with, um, and artists that went on to start families and left music careers behind, or had children and came back to playing music. Um, uh, one of my really good friends uh, kind of started owned, opened a restaurant and gave up performing music. And wow. I played on two albums with her and was in her band. And, um, you know, I've seen a lot of people come through those doors. <laughs> yeah. And, and so many things happen in your own life in, in the 10 years. Oh, and my it's goodness. Amazing. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. That's the truth. Uh, yeah. uh, and I remember I did a story on you, and you 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 you, you could hardly move. You had that, that terrible back problem. Yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah. Uh, and you kept playing. You kept kept the gig. Not only did you keep playing, <laughs> but you kept the gig. And uh, and I got to give mad props to my friend Charlie Nanos, who actually was the first person to bring me in to Edgefield as a performer mm-hmm. with his band. Um, and during that whole time of my back injury, he. I'd give him $25 a week and he would, I'd pick him up at his house and he'd drive out to Edgefield and set up all my equipment for me. And then I could play. And actually when I had that back pain and injury, I playing was the only time it didn't hurt. Yeah. You know, it's, it's odd. I was seated. That probably wasn't the best thing for me or whatever, but playing music certainly was. And uh, I don't know. It helped me get through it. That's amazing. Yeah, it was because you went you went somewhere, and in, 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 you know, and 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 the pain was blocked, or you just didn't. Or, yeah, I think somewhat. I mean, trust me, there were times when I'd lean over to adjust a button on a yeah. an effect pedal, and I screeching pain would go through me. Yeah. But when I was in the actual act of playing the instrument, it actually taught me something really amazing about music. <laughs> Which is, uh, it's hard to explain, but 
it it made me realize that the the tools that you have as a young musician or a young person mm -hmm. are not always going to be there and the mm -hmm. music that you know inside and in your head and how to convey things in with less notes you know mm -hmm. to make something beautiful um for instance in vagabond opera um i'm pretty much a gypsy fiddler or a rhythm guitarist but on the cello mm -hmm. um my job is to be flashy and brilliant <laughs> yeah um when i when i take solos and when i'm not soloing i'm trying to support a band that doesn't have a guitar mm -hmm. and has an accordion which is a less of a um you know when, when we do have a piano it's great mm -hmm. um but uh according to squishy it's a squeeze box <laughs> yeah so yeah. it's uh you know like to to have that extra little chop kind of rhythm and everything mm -hmm. is important but when i i and i toured i did a 13-day a tour we played on uh mount stage live mm -hmm. um out in west virginia and and that was in the middle of the back issue and i was before i had gone and that it was like about a month into my back pain and before I had an MRI or mm -hmm. a prescription. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. And I, I drank a lot of whiskey to manage the pain, but, mm -hmm. uh, but I, it was in the middle of that tour when I realized that I can play less notes and still evoke a reaction out of listeners and an audience. Mm -hmm. And I hold that to this day because you never know. I mean, I try to take better care of myself, but yeah. uh, you never know when things are going to uh, turn around on you. Right. And you have, and you should have a plan. And if you really, uh, if you really know music and absorb it and, and, and hold it as part of your being, mm -hmm. there's more to making music than what you can do with speed, you know, and, yeah. and how, how, yeah. uh, yeah. Gregarious, or, or, or yeah, it's it's ax it's 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 an axiom, really. You know, when you see some, say, take a guitar player and you see some young guy and he's just trying to play as many notes as possible, yeah, <laughs> as, as fast as he can, and and you just think to yourself, well, he's going to really be good once he stops doing that and starts yeah. playing fewer <laughs> notes. It's true. Yeah. It makes me think of like uh, Jack White's thing about playing guitars that are hard to play. It just uh -huh. it, it's uh he doesn't want to go out and buy the Les Paul because you know it, he doesn't have to struggle with it if it's yeah. an easy like well set up instrument. Um, but for me, like uh, I'd prefer not to go through any debilitating. <laughs> uh, physiologic uh, yeah. issues like yeah. that again yeah. and to be completely honest i mean i came out of that it's six months uh, it was really six months from mm -hmm. uh and it was my my uh mother passed away and i got on a plane back here uh from new jersey and uh and what that morning when i got on the plane my lower back was just talking to me it wasn't like yeah. it didn't seem like a big deal just like you know a little sciatica mm -hmm. oh i better not sit on my wallet anymore yeah and within three weeks i was just i had to walk with a cane yeah and i uh it was really really a a, a tremendous life lesson and did music help you through that 
It Is that what you're saying? Did. It certainly yeah. did. I mean, I to be fair, I I I needed to make a living. <laughs> yeah. Um. I you know I didn't have uh, Oregon Health Plan or anything, and uh, I just you know was like, okay, I'm mm-hmm. gonna go for this. But and, I mean, psychologically and spiritually. Oh, very much, yeah. very much, and certainly the community of musicians I play with and yeah. the community of people that I've been playing for, a lot of whom. I'm less aware than the musicians I play with. I uh-huh. mean, um, I suppose I, I've always felt uncomfortable with the notion of of calling people fans. <laughs> I mean, I think mm-hmm. of them as supporters. Yeah. Um, well, to you be here's the thing: to to people who are who who love music who are not musicians, that adds even another layer of mystery. <laughs> You know, it's it's one thing because so, we don't know how you do these things. You know, even people who, you know, I mean, I used to play a little guitar, but I I, I couldn't. I you know, I mean, I could I, I knew a few chords and stuff like that, but you know, and and, and when I was uh, in my twenties, I was I attempted to be a folk singer, but I was a failure. Okay? So, I did too. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, so but what? So that you know, so we don't understand. You know, not really non non musicians don't really understand what you what you do. And then to add another layer of mystery on top of that, that what you do helps you overcome. You know, this this serious thing in your life is just completely baffling. <laughs> uh yeah i guess i mean it's for all of the the travel the long hours the the you know the money all of that stuff you know yeah. is not as important as just the the gift of it yeah. like i i do feel incredibly lucky to do what i do um and i i feel like um over the years, I've become somewhat of a metaphor painter for <laughs> for how music ties into other forms of art, like uh-huh. and, and how I, I look at, um, you know, I, I can look at photography, painting, dance, um, you know, broadcasting, uh-huh. uh, corporate design and advertising. All of these things have a correlation. There's there's negative space. There's the focal point. There's um, I, you know, I constantly talk about making music as a series of rubber bands, you know, like where you stretch a moment uh-huh. and release a moment and stretch a moment and release a moment. And, you know, every once in a while, you might even snap a moment. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah. but, you know, it's it's this ebb and flow. And, and certainly uh, having played for weddings and funerals <laughs> and yeah. even uh hospice you know um there's it's easy to forget that this is not something that everybody knows inherently or understands inherently yeah i i feel uh (laughs) i feel lucky too and and the mystery is you know music i'm i when i will say fans because it's you know that doesn't that that doesn't denigrate anybody because we are fans you know, and and, and 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 we appreciate. We have no idea what it is like to be in that moment that you're in when you're in the middle of a tune, and you know, either you're either improvising or or you're you're and you're playing. That is, su- that must be such a special thing 
that nobody else gets to feel. I guess maybe nobody gets to feel it from the same side, but I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, you're a fan of live music uh-huh. and, and improvisation yeah. and, you know, uh, both in my cellotronic work and what I do with Don uh, and Groovy Wallpaper, um, when I started Groovy Wallpaper, I was like, I don't want us to play songs. I want us to play feelings. Uh-huh. I, I just want us to, to create uh-huh. new works, abstract works um, live, yeah. you know. Um, and I actually really do consider, I, I mean, I've been working with uh, loopers, which uh, for mm-hmm. People not familiar. That's uh, a foot pedal with a brain in it that will record uh, music as you play it, and then play it back so you can add layers to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and play along with yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, at which, uh, in some hands, that can be a really mechanical process. Mm-hmm. You know, just straight keeping time, whatever. But uh, for me, it's a blank canvas. And, and I'm just throwing paint on it. And a lot of times that paint comes from the cello. Um, and a lot of times it comes from my uh, guitar or mandolin or bass. Or um, I use a lot of iPhone apps to, like, uh, to play as instruments. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Don uh, does as well. Um, and in the process of these things, sometimes you find yourself in a moment where you've created something that that you really find stunningly beautiful, you know, like mm-hmm. um, like wow, like Don and I will look at each other and go, that was insane, you know, like <laughs> uh, at the end of a uh, of a piece, and then I hold my pedal down for two seconds and it's gone. It's gone, yes. And the whole thing to me is that the people in the room at that time are experiencing to some degree what I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just receiving it as opposed to um, creating it. But when I'm creating it, I'm receiving it too. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I am, for me, that kind of music making, uh, there are times when I won't even know what key I'm starting in because I'll detune the cello uh-huh. and then I'll just play like four notes uh, and uh, in succession. Um, in order to create the next thing I'm going to do. And then I have to just slide my finger to where I am in the right key. And by the time the second or third revolution comes around, I know what key I'm in. (laughs) Um, But I have the decision right then and there. um, Is it going to be a major thing? Is it going to be a minor thing? Am I going to throw in a flat five? Mm -hmm. And, and I, I don't know. I let it lead me. And, and uh, that's kind of been the way that I've, done my series for all these years too mm-hmm. is that I without having a true mathematical formula and a hundred percent success rate um, when I listen to a songwriter and they're playing a song that I haven't heard before generally a songwriter is you know some songwriters will throw left curves or you know left mm-hmm. turns in their songs but a lot of times when they're trying to get across their point, they're listening to where the song is taking them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I listen for. And then I know, I know from a gut instinct mm-hmm. that it's going to be a 
35% chance that they might do this left turn thing, mm -hmm. but there's a 65% chance that they're going to follow yeah. the song structure, the way that <clears throat> their vocal is leading into the next thing. And so I choose a note that will work in either. So I either end up on the one or the five, which is like a little bit of shop talk, but yeah, <laughs> but because I'm playing a, a lyrical instrument and a monophonic instrument like the cello, I'm not, uh, I don't have all the responsibility that a bass player does to nail the root. Um, I can get away with like sliding a few notes in a row mm -hmm. to get on the right one. Mm -hmm. And I'm, and uh, you know, there's an old joke in, uh, in music circles that you're only in jazz, you're only ever a half step away from the right note. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how does that work when you're with, when you're playing with the cello project? You know, Cello Project um, is is way more structured, and uh, uh, you know, Doug and Kevin and Diane, uh, a, a bunch of people like uh, Gideon, write music out. They're they're uh, really skilled at at putting mm -hmm. the dots in the right place and and the time signature bars and all of that. Mm -hmm. I'm really skilled at reading those things, um, but. I have a tendency to want to smash my computer when I work with music software. That's about notation because notation, I find I, I, it's, I, I, the ideas are too fast for me to, to like slow down and write them down, uh -huh. um, which I, I have to get over. I think, you know, it's, I, for years in the early nineties, I used to, dream of having a group of cellos that could play my music mm -hmm. you know and then i've i've had one for nearly <laughs> for eight <laughs> years and and i've written like two arrangements or uh, maybe four but only mm -hmm. only one of them has really stood the test of time and that's my version of take five mm -hmm. um which i actually didn't write out in software i had my friend derek sims uh i just kind of notated it to him or dictated it and he wrote it out for me and then I brought it to Cello Project, and I went, "Oh no, don't play that. Play what I mean, not what I wrote." <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, so then did they the, understand the, that? Well, the funny thing is that over we we kept sheet music in front of us. Some of the players did for a couple of years, but at this point, even when new players come in, we just go, "It's an E minor. Here's the changes on the thing. <laughs> this is the arrangement," and it's and I verbally com communicated it. And and we've played it enough that it's the one thing that that we have that I can guarantee you nobody's looking at music and in, in our <laughs> entire um and we we read all our music off of iPads and we have this great program that hooks up with Dropbox uh -huh. called Fourscore that allows you to flip pages and make notations on the iPad mm -hmm. and we've I've got probably a thousand songs in my iPad now um, arrangements from you know, the last four years of dance parties and and everything that uh, we've done. Uh, but Take 5 is the one piece of music that just says, Take 5. <laughs> that's, that's the notation for it. So um, it's, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there might be some times in the future where we'll be able to adopt that method of... of uh, of sit and play actually about that year before my back went out we played at um 
the green stage in Ashland mm-hmm. for uh, for uh, Shakespeare Festival, and one of the things that we did was uh, we were collaborating with a beatboxer from New York City named Adam Mata, mm-hmm. who uh, very interesting and compelling uh, performer, um, and he's featured on one of our uh, uh, one of Cello Project's records as well. But um, so we did a thing there where I would play a thing. I would play a simple form, mm-hmm. and then another cellist would play what I just played. And then I'd play the next part for the next cellist. And wow. once and once we got six going, you know, which took roughly, you know, thirty-two bars, uh-huh. um, then I would improvise over the top. That's of live that. looping. Live looping. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty darn fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but we haven't really uh, gone back to that um, mm-hmm. with Cello Project. But I, I think that the chances are that um, it's a thing that we we will do. <laughs> so Cello Project has a new album out called 2ES. It's true. Who's ES? <laughs> well, it's Portland's uh, favorite son, Elliot Smith. <laughs> oh, yes. I remember him. <laughs> it's a it's a really uh, uh this is a really uh, different record for us um mm-hmm. we've uh you know we've long uh been friends with and collaborated with larry crane mm-hmm. who uh oversees elliot's archives mm-hmm. um and he uh helped produce this album uh as well um so on one of our f- earlier albums we did um a an Elliot song that was never released that uh that we got access to and it really worked well there's something about his uh his his self accompaniment and the way that he builds parts that lend themselves really well to instrumentals mm-hmm. um so on this album we have uh six Elliot Smith songs mm-hmm. and then we commissioned uh local and national composers to um to uh, contribute um, uh, pieces of their own, but the composers that uh, composed it were given a very small snip, snippet of of uh, a, maybe a couple of bars of music from from the project, from the arrangements of Elliot songs. Mm-hmm. But they were not told that mm-hmm. this is oh this is Elliot Smith's music. You know, like they were just no. said, here's something spicy Mm -hmm. this is your source material make a variation or um, use this as the basis of your composition wow so it's kind of a a really interesting thing and you have uh as diverse um very melodic pieces written and you have very concordant uh modern classical music type things written and even a piece of performance art that's on there um uh, music for T soloist and cello ensemble. That's uh-huh. <laughs> an interesting one, and uh, and uh, and I think it really works as a record. Um, What's a T soloist? It's a it's a person making a <laughs> cup of tea during the performance of the piece of music, uh-huh. and then pouring the tea, and then the piece of music is over. <laughs> this, it, 
You don't hear a tea kettle go off, do you? Uh, <laughs> you might. Um, there's definitely a tea kettle in it. Uh, is it the, well, that would make sense. Yeah. 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 I mean, in the uh, in the recording, there you can hear the water come to boil and, mm-hmm. and the wow. gas, you know, underneath it. Um, so I th- I think that that's kind of a neat thing. Um, well, you suggested that we listen to Between the Bars. Well, well yeah, I thought um, Between the Bars is a, I mean, it's a, a beautiful uh, song. Mm-hmm. And this summer, um, uh, four of, uh, well, five members of Cello Project went out to the Christ- Christmas Valley area mm-hmm. in southern Oregon. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's a gorgeous place. Um, there's uh, Fort Rock. Um, which is just a, a big rock <laughs> in the middle of the desert. There's a lost forest, which is like a strange forest in the middle of sand dunes, wow. but it's because something about the volcanic, uh, you know, makeup of the ground that mm-hmm. it holds water. So these trees can live on like less water than they would elsewhere. Wow. Um, and you, you would not expect to see them. There's sand dunes. Um, and finally, there's a place called Crack in the Ground, which is a fault line that is above ground, and by two towering, two towering uh, sections of rocks and a long path through it. Um, and I guess, like in the old days, it stays cold there because uh, yeah. it's pretty deep. Um, uh-huh. And in old days, cowboys used to go down there and get ice and make cowboy ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but we uh, filmed uh, we filmed with uh, over the course of a couple of days in crack in the ground and mm-hmm. set up in these different places and played uh, this piece of music and it's it's a, a gorgeous video to look at so uh, YouTube uh, Portland Cello Projects between the bars well, yeah okay well let's uh, let's listen we'll take a coffee break sounds and good and listen to between the bars Portland Cello Project. Soloist music just to show you because it's pretty. Okay, it's the only thing that has a title page. That's that's the music. I want you to read that when we come back. Okay. Well, I'll just do a split track here so we can just keep going. Okay. <clears throat> back in the cupping room of uh, Portland of uh, World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northeast Gleason and uh, Northwest. Northwest Gleason. Northwest Gleason. <laughs> Try that. Let me try that again. Okay. Three, two, one. Back in the cupping room, the World Cup coffee and tea, Northwest Gleason and 18th with Skip Wankowski from Portland Cello Project and many, 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 many other bands, which we'll get to. But you were talking about the, the um, music for cello ensemble with T soloist, and you have this. 
on your iPad there, there's only a few notes. I mean, musical notes. There's <laughs> yeah. lots of other notes, but there's only a few music, musical notes. What are those musical notes? Well, um, uh, just to set the scene, there's uh, some verbal instructions uh-huh. followed by a what looks like one measure and the staff uh, with a bunch of notes written uh-huh. on it. Um, but it, it uh, reads as such. Music for cello ensemble with T soloist. Instructions for the cello ensemble. Play each note in the pitch set, holding each note for 10 to 15 seconds, then begin again, playing each note, and so on. Please make sure to randomize the way you play the order of the notes in the pitch set so that collectively we hear a chord. So don't play each note from the bottom up or the top down, etc. Be random with order. Also feel free to put notes in different octaves and play more than one at a time via double stops. The end result being one slowly ever shifting drone. Do this for four minutes. <laughs> it's a recipe. It is. It, it really is. <laughs> Begin at piano, slowly crescendo for two minutes to mezzo forte, then decrescendo for two more minutes to nothing. Look to the soloist for the cue to begin the piece. Instructions for the T soloist. (laughs) The T soloist should set up a tray on stage with an electric kettle and a way to make tea. Please use loose leaf to provide better sounds, intrigue, and interesting things to do. (laughs) Make sure that the amount of water in the kettle will boil in just under two minutes. To start the pot, to start the piece, turn on the kettle. While while it's boiling, get out the tea, scoop some tea into the teapot, screen, go in, or whatever you're using, and set out cups. Once the water boils, make tea in the teapot, pour, and enjoy. If you take cream or sugar, don't forget to bring that along. After the piece, feel free to offer tea to the audience. The cello ensemble will be playing while you're making tea for four minutes, so make sure you can take care of everything in that time period. And... <laughs> That's great. It works. I mean, you know, uh, John Cage is like, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> okay, so how long has the Portland Cello Project been been in existence now? You know, boy, that's sure it, it's kind of difficult. <laughs> Approximately. Approximately, I would say we began calling ourselves Portland Cello Project in 2007, uh-huh. but we... Uh, we're just a bunch of cellists getting together yeah. in 2006. Okay. All right. So it's been a long time now. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> so have you worked everything out between you guys yet? Worked everything out. Cello Project hasn't really uh, ever been uh, always the same people. Yeah. You know, there's uh, there are a handful of us who are the most consistent performers. Uh-huh. Um uh, but, uh, you know, we, uh, I don't know if egalitarian is the right word, but we, but we've, we've definitely left our, our, some of our chairs open for uh-huh. uh, new blood and, yeah. and for people who are just less caught up, like, cause not every cellist that plays in cello project uh, just plays cello for a living. Um, they, uh-huh. there are a lot of other jobs and not everybody can keep up with the demands of touring and mm-hmm. uh and you know just filling all the dates because they have lives <laughs> <laughs> um but and you know and yes certainly um there it's a lot of personalities under one roof but uh yes. but you know like 
the shows that we do at the Aladdin um, and a couple times a year in Portland are the big shows. We never mount like 16 cellos for a road tour. Mm-hmm. Or, and over the last few years, I think we just played with nine cellists. Mm-hmm. Only? Shows. Only nine? Yeah, maybe ten. <laughs> um, That's a lot. It is. It is a lot. Um, and we have trumpet players too. I yeah. mean, it's it's cello project, but it's it's a it's a yeah. pretty large ensemble thing. Although, um, you know, on our uh, upcoming uh, winter tours, we're probably going to be traveling with no more than eight people, including mm-hmm. sound. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, and but you know, we travel with a drummer. A trumpet player, five cellos, yeah. sound person, possibly merch person, uh, possibly a bass player. It, it changes where, depending on you know where we're going and how many people can we fit in one sprinter van. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, how old were you when you had your when you had the, your, the first cello in your hand? Eight. Yeah. Do you um, remember the moment? I do. My teacher. Uh, uh, brought it in i i mean i before that first day um i got brought into the school because my uh, older sister was excelling in the suzuki program there which was in a in its infancy like i mean it was the first year of them offering suzuki in our school system mm-hmm. and uh and her teacher diane sultan uh was like does she have any siblings at home <laughs> and uh so she was like, well, she has a younger sister, my uh, other stepsister. She's like, oh, great, because we just got a viola in the school system, so we'd like somebody to play that. And uh, and she was like, well, my my uh, stepmom was like, well, my stepson will be disappointed if if he's not included. And she's like, well, just bring him in. We'll give him an upright bass. <laughs> and they brought me in. And she went, uh, we don't have a bass that small, you know, because uh-huh. I was eight. Yeah. So they said, we'll start you on cello and. You could switch to bass in sixth grade, and by fifth grade, I like was like really like, do I have to switch to bass? And they were like, no, no, no. <laughs> but uh, but um, yeah, my teacher brought in the cello, and she showed me how to hold it, and uh-huh. then she showed me how to play the first opening run of the Adams Family. Da da ba bum, da ba bum, da ba bum, and so. Um, she was like, I can't give you this cello to take home, but we're trying to get one set up for you and we'll have another lesson next week. Um, so I went home and my other, my sister had gotten her viola already. So I set it in front of me like the cello and I learned to play da 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 dum da 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 dum da 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 dum And I just did it for like, <laughs> you know, 20 minutes or something, which probably seemed like an hour to me then. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, wait, I think I can do the rest of this. So I watched The Addams Family. <laughs> I waited till it was on. And then I went, okay, and I went back into my lesson the next week, and I did that. My, it was just it, there. It, yeah, it just... It just came out. Yeah, my ear just was always... I mean, but I sang in church choir when I was uh-huh. four, Yeah, and I played around on a piano in the house and my dad would strum a mandolin in the kitchen sometimes and I was always fascinated by the mandolin which is mm-hmm. funny because I've really become quite the mandolin player over the last few years you mm-hmm. know um, 
I, I always played the mandolin a little bit for the last 15 years. Um, but uh, then I met some good mandolin players and I mm-hmm. felt bad about taking work from them. And then my mandolin got stolen and I just didn't bother replacing it. Are you part of the mandolin ensemble? No, oh, okay. no. Um, I, 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 one of the many bands I play with is Will West and the Friendly Strangers. Mm-hmm. And back during my back injury, um, I was on tour in Santa Cruz uh, and that was the, the middle of, I don't know, an 18 day tour. And it was towards the end. It was like, my back was getting better. I was going to physical therapy yeah. and I felt like it was on the mend, but it wasn't quite there yet. Mm-hmm. And it was January. I think it was February when it, when I felt like I could do cartwheels again, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, I remember distinctly, I went into this music store to buy an eighth inch cable for my iPhone so I could play my my uh, apps through my uh-huh. uh, thing, but it was <laughs> because it was the middle of the tour, um, and there was a, a lot of merch cash. So we did a the band did a big payout to each member. So mm-hmm. I walked into this music store with five hundred dollars in my pocket. <laughs> oh, dangerous! <laughs> and dangerous, I had to buy dangerous. a seven dollar cord, and I ended yeah. up buying a uh, buying a Fender. Uh, you know, a style mandolin with a soap bar pickup in it. And, uh, but I mean, I sat down and plugged it in and I played it for a half an hour to make sure my hand didn't hurt afterwards. Cause uh-huh. yeah, mandolin is a funny thing. If you got a one that's set up really nice and you're used to the movement, your hands don't get all sore. But if you buy one, that's just a little too high in the action uh-huh. And it, it can be, it can lead you to not wanting to play the instrument, you know, yeah. which, uh, which is funny. But uh, for me, I played that thing for a half an hour and I was like, man, this thing's on sale for $239. I'm going to buy it. I, maybe <laughs> I think it was 269 actually. But, yeah. um, and sure enough, I, I bought it and I was all smiles and I was a half half a block away from the music store when I realized I left my cane behind. Oh, geez. Wow. <laughs> like, that's how happy I was. Like, amazing. Was like, that's amazing. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, I think so. And then um, I got back to town. Uh, I At the time, I was generally doing some Thursday happy hours. Uh, mm-hmm. Will West was doing a happy hour at White Eagle then. And uh, uh, I guess this is like 2008. And he was like, I said, hey, I bought a mandolin while I was down in California. He's like, bring it next time. And I said, <laughs> okay, I will. And so then I brought it and I played it on a few songs. And uh, and then my confidence got better at it. And then mm-hmm. Will would call me and say, hey, I'm doing this gig. It's just for tips. But if you wanted to just bring your mandolin, that's cool. And so then I was like thrilled because, wow, I've been hauling a cello around my entire life. I could just walk in with <laughs> with a cord and a, yeah, and, yeah, and a thing yeah. over my shoulder that's yeah, like yeah. no space at all. So uh, that happened. And over time, it got to the point where now when I play with the Friendly Strangers, I probably play about 75% mandolin huh. and 25% cello. Jeez. And I've been doing that for, for yeah. years now. And, yeah. um, and I feel like, um, you know, I don't think – Dave Giroux or Tim Connell or any of those, uh, uh, Lincoln Crockett, any of those guys have anything to worry about from me, <laughs> you know, um, 
but uh, I uh, a couple months ago I did a gig with Will and Dave Giroux, mm -hmm. and I was like. I was pleased, like, because I, I was, I was kind of like really nervous about it. Uh -huh. But I know that Dave like picked up the fiddle a few years ago too. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. I was like, well, you know, my mandolin playing and his fiddle playing will balance out like my cello and his mandolin. You know, like we can <laughs> yeah. switch. And yeah. yeah. But what I found is that no, I can't play a million notes as creatively as he can on the mandolin. But uh -huh. I do have my own distinct sound and. um and and I can make music with it, mm -hmm. uh, which is which is the main thing. I mean, it's yeah. not necessarily how much technique you have on an instrument. Once you have musical knowledge, you can just transfer it. And mm -hmm. and sometimes having less tools is yeah. a nice, valuable thing. Because when I play something really complicated on the mandolin for me, and I loop it. I can pick up the cello and play it instantly, and it's not hard at all. <laughs> I'm guessing that you have more than one cello. Uh, uh, yeah, I do. But what is what is what is your main your your, your main cello? What is what, my what, main instrument? Is you, how, how old is it? Where did you get it? And why is it? Why do you love it? Uh, well, my main instrument is uh, my uh, an Italian cello uh, made in 1982. Mm -hmm. um, I bought it in Philadelphia. Um, I was the first owner of it. Really? And I've put every mark and hole and, and Wait a minute, you, scratch. You, you, you bought it in, 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 in 1982? I bought it in 1984. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it was like, but by 1984, that was my third instrument I had bought from this uh -huh. violin dealer. I mean, yeah. uh, anybody who um, knows the shops in town, there's Kerr and, mm -hmm. and, and Giesman and... and Schubach. In Philadelphia, there was uh, Menigs and Primavera. They were the two uh, mm -hmm. main violin shops, and my family went to Primavera for all of our instruments. Mm -hmm. And uh, but uh, I was. It's enough time has passed. I can probably tell this story. <laughs> um, uh, Primavera had to go through a, a bankruptcy. Uh, mm -hmm. at that time and this cello was on his shelf and it was a $12,000 Italian cello wow. um, and was I had in, was it made in Italy yeah made in yeah. Cremona which uh, wow. you have to be certified part of the guild to make it to, to set up shop as an instrument maker and uh -huh. uh, Cremona because uh, that's where Stradivarius and the Amati family and yeah. you know yeah. so it's it's uh, it's an important center and it's why Italian instruments are prized and modern new Italian cellos from this century go for 20 to 30,000 or end up, wow. you know, um, there's just something. So if that was 12,000 in 1984. Wow. Yeah. If I hadn't beat the living hell out of it for the last 30 years, it would be, <laughs> um, no, but you know, it started, I bought a three quarter size German cello, mm -hmm. uh, when I was 10. My dad owned a general store in New Jersey, and mm -hmm. every day after school, I would empty the garbage and fill the soda cases. Mm -hmm. And at first, he was giving me $2 a week to do that. <laughs> and But then I, very shortly thereafter, he started um, – he had an old coffee can, two-pound Montco coffee <laughs> um, can, and any time a customer paid for something with a 50-cent piece, mm -hmm. he would drop it in that coffee can <laughs> – 
and we'd put it in the bank at the end of the week. So I got up to $500 pretty quickly. And then mm-hmm. when I got up to uh, $1,300, I ended up buying this cello. Like, mm-hmm. so it was, yeah, it was my first cello that I bought. There was another uh, one that I had that I paid $4 for, but it was <laughs> a full size. That's another story. But, yeah. uh, but that, that first $1,300 cello, I then, traded back in uh-huh. towards a full size when it was time for me to move yeah. to a full size instrument. Yeah. And, uh, I played that instrument probably f- for three years. And that was like a $3,000 instrument yeah. or a $3,500 instrument. And, but when it came time to get this, the cello that I have now, there was the bankruptcy thing. And he was like, well, this will only fetch this much at auction and I'm going to give you a trade in value on your German cello of 6,400. So $2,000 more. So I basically bought this, you know, really nice cello for, for a trade in and a couple of grand. Wow. Um, And, and it's been a really good instrument. I, uh, I don't know a lot of people. What is so good about it? Um, (laughs) It's got it's got my imprint. Ah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I've I've played that instrument for thousands of hours. I mean, yeah. literally, yeah. like at 1984, I pr- I practiced for six hours a day then, you know. Yeah. Um, and through college, through I I would say that there was a short period of time in my 20s where the cello sat in a, in the case most of the time because. I was playing guitar and writing songs and, yeah, yeah. and, uh, but you know, I still played it. It's on, it's on pink Martini's first record. It's uh-huh. on uh-huh. like, it's on a lot of records by a lot of people in this town. Um, I, I did a, I did a piece on Zoe. What's her name? Zoe Keating, Zoe Keating one time. And she was finally going to get another cello. She had had this one cello since she was a, a teenager and she went through this whole thing as though she were dating these cellos. Right. <laughs> you know, and just like sort of going out with them and to, to see if it were if it would work out. And she she eventually found one and I guess married it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good for her. <laughs> yeah, um I I performed Zoe Keating was actually at the very first cello project rehearsal, which I was not at. Uh-huh. Um I was recently reminded. <laughs> <laughs> But I can tell you that the only reason I wasn't at the first cello project rehearsal, I was invited, but I had a gig that night. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, but Zoe was at that first rehearsal. And, yeah. But I never got to play with her uh-huh. in those early days. She lived in Portland for yeah, like yeah. five minutes. I know. And that's when I interviewed her. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, Before she went back but, to San Francisco. Uh, you know, about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, mm-hmm. Cello Project did do two shows with her mm-hmm. in Washington. And but it was I, such an interesting, you know, concept that she would date, she would date new cellos yeah, before well, she would settle on one, you know? You know, because uh, it's, 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 it was like a life partner. That's one way to look at it for yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I certainly, um, at one point about, uh, about 2000 or 2001 mm-hmm. I ended up 
uh, I was I auditioned for uh, the sublist for the Oregon Symphony, mm-hmm. and I and my sister said, you know, your cello hasn't been sounding as as alive as it. You, you know, you should have you should take it in the shoebox and have him do a sound post adjustment or some new strings or something, you know. So I took it in and they discovered that there was a crack in the sound post oh. or at uh-huh. on the body under the sound post or above the sound post. Anyway, it ended up being an ordeal. Like uh, <laughs> it was a very expensive fix, um, but um, it's, you know, it's, it's fixed and it's fine. But during the time that it was in the shop, uh-huh. it was like a three week undertaking. So, I expressed some interest in trying out different cellos and mm-hmm. as fate would have it, I had just booked like 21 dates in a row wow. as a pit uh, orchestra cellist for a little night music, the Stephen Sondheim musical and uh-huh. Lake Oswego repertory theater or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, anyway, he gave me everything from the worst student cello I ever played to <laughs> one of his like to his french cello I, yeah. he actually let me use his yeah. uh this beautiful french cello that valued at probably about forty thousand oh. dollars to play my audition and mm-hmm. and i got in <laughs> which was great but uh um you know uh there are so many different cellos you know and yeah. so many different sounds i mean cello project everybody has a different cello we have matching microphones that we all use uh-huh. that are uh, embedded in foam and go under the bridge and stay a steady distance away from the, the bridge. Uh-huh. Every one of them has to be EQ'd differently. Wow. There's certain things that, with frequencies uh-huh. and certain ranges that are yeah. going to be the same, but yeah. some cellos are bright, some are warm, some are, are just bassy, you know, um, and it's, uh, you, you never know until you put the microphone on it and find the sweet spots, you know. But uh, you realize that most music fans can't hear that. Yeah, I do. You know that, right? Uh, there's, uh, <laughs> I'll be, well, they can hear when when something's feeding back. <laughs> That's true. That, yeah, is, that and, is very true. And I know that uh, they're they're definitely. I, I'm a big proponent of of using pickups. I, I uh-huh. love, I love eliminating the, the feedback component and ha- just having a tight amplified sound that's based uh-huh. on the, the vibrations that it's picking up. But, and I'll be honest with you. I, I love my cello. It's my favorite one. Yeah. Um, I have an electric five string cello that uh-huh. has a versatility that, and what you can run through it effects wise. Uh-huh. It sits in my basement. I'd sell it if somebody wanted to buy it. <laughs> um, and then I have uh, an old German cello that I bought all beat up at Portland Music. They actually called me and said, hey, we've got a cello up here. And, you know, they wanted $300 for it. So I <laughs> took it and I got it fixed up um, and play it. And it's it's pretty decent, but it has some weird things up around the neck that mm-hmm. make it more difficult to play you know mm-hmm. um and then uh i have a cello that doesn't have a label in it i bought it at trade up music uh maybe 10 years ago mm-hmm. uh i sold it to somebody with the caveat that if they ever sold it they would sell it back to me 
And so I bought it back, and it's yeah. become my primary really? Torcello. If I fly yeah. anywhere, I yeah. just I have that a $600 cello because if that breaks, I'm like, eh, that sucks, you yeah. know. But yeah. Yeah. but if my good cello did, I would be like, oh, I'm fucked, you yeah. know. Like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But the funny thing is that no matter what cello you play, you're the cello. The the, the cello is doesn't make sound without a person yeah. on it and uh i've had i had a woman in northampton massachusetts come up to me after a show and just gush about my cello it was just like <laughs> don't do you just love her i'm oh. like first off <laughs> don't assume that my cello is a lady <laughs> <laughs> and i think i actually responded to her oh she's pretty nice but i i prefer my italian mistress back home a lot more <laughs> So uh, for this tenth anniversary, this, this you know, sort of tenth anniversary, are you planning anything special for Edgefield? Say in 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 the you know the second half of January and February. Well, um, I'm hoping uh, to make it the whole year the yeah? a ten year anniversary special. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I think uh, I'm going to invite um, a bunch of I'm going to invite all the musicians who have ever played out there to just come wow. out on the 19th um, and play a song with me mm-hmm. uh, and Don <laughs> who wasn't necessarily there all the time in the past, but if, but I'd, I'd love to actually have, uh, you know, a bunch of my old guests come out again. Uh, there are people I miss and I don't even know how to get in touch with anymore that, <laughs> uh, that uh, haven't, you know, that, that I haven't seen in years. And, uh, you know, I'm working on it. I definitely mm-hmm. want to uh, track down some people and try and get them out there. Um, you know, when I, I I booked the thing kind of far in advance, and when I booked January, I wasn't really thinking about the fact that it was 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, actually went back and looked in the calendar, and the first Monday um, and 2015 is January uh-huh. 5th yeah. and my first day doing this as a weekly series was a Wednesday January 5th 2005 wow so so I can't really do it right on the day but I'm yeah. going to celebrate the year and uh, I'm going to try and get in touch with Gary Houston because I'd like a woodcut yeah. just to celebrate yeah. it you know yeah yeah um, well, congratulations! Thank you very you know, much on a ten-year gig. It's been uh, these these hours just fly by. It's amazing. It really does. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I barely scratched the surface. Of, I know, I know. I well, want to give a shout out to my friend Lisa Lapine who helped make this possible and booking, who gave me, got me through the door at McMenamin's ten years ago, and still works closely with me on my career. So. Yes, thank you, Lisa Lapine. <laughs> Lisa Lapine has been feeding me stories for, I don't know, 20, almost 20 years now. <laughs> okay, Skip, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, Tom. I'll see you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs>